week by week, I've been meditating, as I've been hearing these testimonies, I've been meditating on the power that those testimonies had. I've been meditating on the freshness that it brought to our faith. I could look around on Wednesday nights, and as they were giving their testimony, I could just see the freshness that it was bringing to everybody. You could see it on the faces. And I don't want to pass them by too quickly. I don't want us to move on and miss anything that God had for us through these testimonies. So we're going to begin this new Bible study year by looking at the importance of a testimony. We're going to look at what a testimony is for. Why do we testify? You know, why, why is it that people get up and testify? Why do they do it, uh, you know, on a one-to-one -one basis? How is it that we can glean the most from giving our testimony and from hearing a testimony? Because I want you to remember that the testimony is not something now that man has thought up. The testimony comes right out of the heart of God. This is, this is on all the pages of the Bible. In fact, when you, when you look at the Word of God, the entire Bible is just one testimony from beginning to end. When you think about it, uh, it's called the New Testament, the Old Testament. That's the same root word, New Testimony, Old Testimony. And so there's testimonies after testimony in the Word of God. And every testimony in the Word of God whether it be a testimony of God himself or whether it's a testimony of what God has done for some particular person. It has within it power. It has within it healing power. has within it deliverance power. It has within it God's power. That's why Revelation 12 verse 11 says that we overcome the enemy by the blood of the Lamb, yes, but also by the word of our testimony. So we find that a testimony is an overcoming weapon, and the reason it works, the reason it overcomes, is because there's power in it. Now, we're going to be looking at two Old Testament analogies tonight, and we're going to see how those Old Testament stories compare to the modern-day testimony. Now, the first analogy that I want to make a testimony is much like that snake on the pole back in the day of Moses. Now, if you'll remember, Moses was commanded by God to take a snake, make a bronze snake, and put it up on a pole. And anyone that would look to it would be healed and delivered and set free. Now, I want you to look at Numbers chapter 21, verse 9. I'm going to give you just a little background while you're looking this up. The people had grumbled, they had complained, they were in sin. And so they, were, they had done this until they were completely outside of God's protection. And they were being bitten by these snakes out on the Sinai Desert. Many of the people were dying from these snake bites. Now that's an analogy of sin today when you think about it. You know, when we get outside of God's protection, when we get into sin, well, it's just like a serpent and it does bite. We all know that sin bites and many people die from the bite. And so that's what was happening back in, uh, in this wilderness. And so Moses was commanded by God. Let's look back in verse 8, Numbers 21, verse 8. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent, set it on a standard or up on a pole, and it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, he shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, set it up on a pole, and it came about that if a serpent bit any man when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. Okay, now that was a type and shadow of what was going to happen hundreds of years later on the cross. Now that serpent that was lifted up on the pole was a type and shadow of Christ when he was lifted up on the cross. 
Now, the serpent on the pole was good then in the same sense that the cross is good. And you say, well, why on earth would, be, would the snake be the symbol of Christ on the cross? You know, why? Well, when you think about it, you know, putting a snake uh, up on a, a pole, that looks like an unusual way for God to choose to have people get healed and delivered, you know. And I used to look at that and I thought, Lord, why? Because the snake is probably one of the most despised creatures known to man ever since the garden. Well, later look up 2 Corinthians 5.21, but we're going to find the secret there in 2 Corinthians 5. It tells us that Jesus literally became sin for us when he was put up on the cross. Now, when he walked on the earth, he li lived a sinless life. But he literally became sin for us. So it was actually our sin, it was our consequences that was nailed to the cross. That's what was put up on the cross. So just as they looked to that serpent up on the pole for their physical deliverance, then we look to Jesus on the cross as we repent, he who became our sin for us, he became our substitute, then as we repent and look to him for our deliverance, we receive that deliverance from him. Now, I've thought a lot about that in connection with the testimony. Now, we get all excited when we hear a testimony. That's, that's fun to hear the testimonies because we're hearing it after the fact. You know, we're able to see the end of the story. We're able to see the finished product. So that's why, boy, we can get all excited hearing it. But it's kind of like Woody so accurately said, you know, a, a couple of weeks ago. He said in the testimony, the test comes before the money. And I thought that was a real good way to put it because it does. Every one of us, the testimony is a time when we're sharing some of the most difficult times we've ever gone through. You know, every time somebody shares their testimony, they're, they're sharing some very intimate parts of their life. And a lot of what is in our testimony didn't start out to be real pretty. You know, every one of us have a testimony, but a lot of that testimony didn't start out to be real pretty. But when it's raised up on a pole, in other words, when it's testified about, after it's been touched by God, then it's good. It becomes good because God has intervened. God has taken over at some point where we've allowed God to take over. We wouldn't even have a testimony if we hadn't allowed God to take over in some of these areas. But he touches it, and now it, it becomes something that is a powerful weapon. It has the power to deliver. And sometimes we don't think about these testimonies as having power to deliver, whether it be one we're giving or one that we're hearing. Now, it's the same with the cross experience when you think about it. I, I really enjoyed the stanza that Bill Dooley wrote to the old rugged cross because I thought about it. It says, even though it was a cruel death, it has become our symbol of victory. Well, at, uh, he gave us that new stanza to the old rugged cross last year about Easter time, and, and I thought about that and meditated on it because before the cross was finished, it was one of the most difficult, it was the most difficult uh, experience in all of history. And it wasn't pretty. But afterwards, we're able to rejoice over it because it has become now, after God resurrected Christ from the dead, it has become our symbol of victory. So we're going to do something fun and different tonight. I think you'll like this. I'm going to illustrate this analogy that I've made. I'm going to illustrate this uh, and show how the testimonies are much like that snake on the pole. We're going to go through the Wednesday night testimonies that we heard this summer, and we're going to have, see how each one of them had the potential power in it 
to spark faith in people to receive deliverance. Now, my objective for this Bible study is for us to learn how to glean every single thing that God wants us to glean from the testimony. From hearing the testimony, from giving the testimony, you'll find that you've gleaned from just testimonies that you've heard on a one-to-one basis. But as we go along, I want you to notice how unique and how different every testimony was. Therefore, it doesn't matter how different your circumstances may be. It doesn't matter how big your problem may be or in what area. Before the summer was over, if you were here each Wednesday night, you heard some testimony that covered your area of need, gave you hope. And and you've probably already realized that. But I, I want it just to come alive tonight. Now, the first testimony that we heard was Ann and Robert. And this testimony showed God's miraculous power to deliver us from the bondages of addiction. And Ann told us how she was a follower and how she followed the crowd. But in an attempt now to be accepted, she followed the wrong crowd and followed into sin. Now, she described all of the pain and all of the sorrow that followed after that. And I want you to look now where God has brought her when she finally turned her life and yielded herself over to God. After he touched her life, he's taken her from following the crowd into sin into leading the crowd into victory. I got to thinking about that, and I thought, Lord, I get so excited. Only you could have done that. She would have never believed that there was going to come a time that God was going to use her to be leading the entire city in a a joint worldwide effort to win all the cities and, and do the census for all the cities for Christ. And that made that testimony just mean so much to me because I thought she would have never thought of that ahead of time. She would have never known that. But that's what the power of God can do when we give him something and let him touch it and and turn it around. Now, when that testimony is lifted up, then every, quote, follower or any insecure person who thinks, oh, I'm insecure and there's nothing I can do in the body of Christ, okay, they hear that testimony and they say, God, you did that for Ann, you can do that for me. And all of a sudden it just sparks uh, hope on the inside and a power force is released when anybody hears it and looks at that testimony in faith. Just like the snake on the pole, when it was lifted up and when they looked at it in faith, then they were set free. Now that's what a testimony is for. It's to build faith so that we know how to get our help, how to get help from God. And when a person hears Robert tell how he read a book that wasn't even left there on purpose, at least not by Anne. God left it there on purpose. But uh, as he read this book, we see where he turned his life over to Jesus. He was instantly delivered from, from drugs and turned completely around and began to serve the Lord. Now, when we hear that, it immediately gave hope to every single person that was believing for a mate or that was believing for uh, some family member or friend. All of a sudden, it sparked hope on the inside of us. We began to think, Lord, if you could bring Robert in by just reading a little book, then you can bring my loved one in. And all of a sudden, that hope and, and that faith just begins to spark on the inside of us. You know, how many of you have ever had an impossible looking situation in your life? Sure you have. We all have. We've had impossible-looking situations. Well, Scott and Reba's testimony gave hope for the impossible. You know, Reba first got into church by almost being frightened into church uh, with an encounter with with a demonic spirit, and that led her know, first of all, that the demon spirit world, the demonic spirit world was real and that she needed God. Now, this is the point, though, where so many people fail to go on with God. 
A lot of people come to the point where they realize, yes, I need God, but they think, oh, I've, I've done so much, there's no way for me to get from point A to point B. But Reba told in her testimony how when she first started going to church, she heard a testimony. And that gave Reba the hope that she could be accepted. See, when she heard the testimony of that little elderly lady who had been in prostitution in her earlier years, uh, Reba thought, boy, if Grandma was once a prostitute and got restored, God can bring me in too. You know, he can restore me. And so uh, that gave her hope. But also, when we heard that testimony coming from Reba, it gave hope to every one of us that what I've done is not so bad that God can't restore me and bring me back. Not too late. God, it, it's never too late if I'm ready to turn around and give my life to you. Now, every person who is sick or anyone who's needing a creative miracle in their physical body, they can hang on to the fact that Scott was quadriplegic and was never going to walk again. And boy, he, here he is, miraculously restored. He always up there doing the tapes. And in there, he, he did all the carpet work in the radio room. If you saw him in there, you wouldn't have thought there was ever anything wrong. And so all of a sudden, people who hear that, their infirmity suddenly doesn't sound nearly as big as it did before. And they think, Lord, you can do it for Scott. You can do it for me. People who had scars from the past, it could be emotional scars. It could be physical scars. They can look at Scott's arms and, and they can believe for their miracle. They can know that if God could do this for Scott and even remove the scars, he'll do it for me. Now, every person who is praying for a family member to get saved, they can see Scott and Reba serving God and see their relationship put back together after 15 years. And boy, I tell you what, then all of a sudden, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 comes alive. That, that we literally are no longer the same person we used to be. That old things have indeed passed away and we've come, become totally new in Christ Jesus. And all of a sudden, that's not just words on a page, but it lets us know that really can happen. There really is life in those words. And old things really can pass away and all things really can become new in Christ Jesus. And see, that's what the testimony was going forth. It's all in Jesus. Tom Elliott's testimony declared what happens when we miss first base. You know, he demonstrated his point so graphically when he was making his points, and I thought, you know, I'll never forget, you know, th th how important it is not to miss first base. And then he gave a living testimony of how even when we do miss first base, God can come back and return the years the canker worm is eaten. He can come back and, and he can return to us what the enemy has, had, has tried to steal. He can restore every bit of that to us if we'll yield ourselves to him and allow him to do it. And that's what Tom's testimony, that's what his life was demonstrating. Now, every one of us can relate to the pain of missing first base. In other words, we can relate to the pain of missing the most important things in life and, and drifting away from God. And Tom's testimony was encouraging us to stop and take inventory of our priorities. What's going to hold up in the hereafter? You know, what's going to be important when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ? And that's what his testimony was all about. God's priorities versus our own priorities. Things that look so important to me today. You know, I, I, if I stop, I realize, Lord, how important is this going to be when I stand before the judgment seat of Christ? And boy, the minute I... I I do that, then I, I, I can immediately find out what's important and what's not important. 
And that's what his testimony did. It, it made us stop and, and, and uh, do an inventory. Now, Jim testified to being brought up in a moral home, but not necessarily a home that was based on strict Christian teaching. And his testimony brought home the fact that rearing a child in a moral environment is not enough by itself. Morals will not be enough to hold a child uh, in the right place when hard times come. And so he shared how it's only the consistent teaching and training of truth from the Word of God that can do that. And he testified to that truth. Now, every one of us at times we've prayed for and, and we've ministered to someone and, and then we've fought the doubts of thinking, oh, I don't know whether this praying is doing any good. You know, I'm just praying and I think I may be just spinning my wheels. And every one of the, us have been in that place where we've thought, well, I don't know whether it's working. So every one of us had our determination restored to stay in there and keep fighting when we heard Jim tell how Bo and Pat and Mike and Gene and I think he said Ann and Merle, their persistence paid off because they continued to witness to him. And he said, they just kept witnessing. They just kept loving me and they kept pulling on me. And so that's what pulled him in. So boy, we hear that and we think, Lord, it does work, you know. And we see a life that went full circle from a moral upbringing into the world and then back full cycle to the point where he's serving God, not just in word only, but with a commitment where he drives several hours every Monday night just to intercede. You know, there's nothing more hopeful than to see God raising up men who pray. Now, I'm not knocking female intercessors, you know, and I thank God for all of the intercession that's gone forth by women. But I think it's a real sign of the end times as God begins to pull in dedicated men who will get down on their knees and pray and do spiritual warfare. You know, Jeanette, she gave everyone hope who had ever wrestled with any kind of a, a chronic emotional bout. And as she shared the struggles that she, she went through during those years to keep functioning normally and to keep going and, and to keep her family going and, and to depend on God and, and hang on to God, her testimony was just like a light at the end of a dark tunnel. For anybody who had ever struggled with those things or, or maybe they had struggled with nightmares, uh, as she described, or, or some kind of a chemical imbalance of, of varying degrees. Okay, it was. It was just like a light that they could say, yes, there is hope. And, and when they heard that she had been set free, it let them know they could be set free. Let them know which way to go. Paul and Wade, they testified to the power of deliverance in the emotional realm. And I thought about how prevalent bitterness is in the life of people who sometimes have had some real legitimate injustices. You know, some people have legitimately been treated wrongly. But you know, bitterness is a killer. And no matter how justified we are, it's a killer. And so Paula's testimony gave us the biblical steps for pulling out of unforgiveness and pulling out of that bitterness and pulling back to God. And I thought about how many people there are that have been touched by rejection. Probably every one of us have been touched by some degree of rejection at one time or another. And Wade's testimony testified to rejection, but he also defined it in such a way that we could recognize the subtleties of it and recognize it when it comes in in little subtle ways. And he also gave us the biblical answers for it. So their testimony gave us hope for deliverance from emotional, in the emotional realm. Tom's testimony. He testified to the supernatural intervention of God to give us ideas and to give us wisdom in, in the job, in our job situation, in our occupation. You know, how God will let us uncover information and, 
that we would have never uncovered in the natural and how he can lead us into financial realms that would otherwise have been impossible. And he testified to the fact that God's grace is also there to help us be patient when we're waiting for the answers. You know, God's turn of events and the desired outcome that we're looking for, it doesn't always come exactly when we're looking for it. Sometimes our timetable is a little bit different than God's. And so Tom's testimony then gave us all the hope to hang in there and not get discouraged, not give up, not throw in the towel. And how God will take our God-given abilities, the things he's given us, the acquired knowledge, and how he'll stretch it into supernatural proportions if we'll allow him to. And that's what he was testifying to when he said that God helped him write up a legal document that went far beyond his natural capabilities as a lawyer. So we saw a testimony here of the available power, the power that was made available for our jobs, for our, our working in this world. Roy testified to how God can take us out of the bondage of traditionalism, set us free to begin seeing that a new life in the spirit is possible. You know, not all tradition is wrong. You know, he brought out that it's not all wrong. Some traditions will not violate the word of God. But he was showing that there are some traditions that violate the word of God and every one of us has gotten caught up in areas of traditionalism in some times in our life. And we found that it does stifle our walk with God and he showed how it can stifle that walk. So he was reminding us of that pitfall and the need to continually do spiritual inventory to allow God to keep our wineskin new. Because tradition and precepts of men, you know, that'll stifle our walk in the spirit. Carol and Greg Griminer, Carol's vision of the tree of fear in her life and how it had started with just the little seeds of fear, here, fear incidents, and yet it had grown to an enormous oak tree. And God gave her a vision, and God showed her how he was uprooting that huge oak tree of fear and got it out of her life. Now, every one of us have some bondages. It might not be fear. It might be in another area. And many times they started with some tiny little seeds, and we know, every one of us in our own life, we know these things that have grown to the proportion of an oak tree. And so it was wonderful then to realize that, yes, this oak tree in my life can be uprooted because many times we've looked at these things that have been there for a long time and we've thought, Lord, it's too late. I've lived with this too long. You know, I've, I've put up with it too long. I've gone past the point of ever being able to get help. And so Carol's testimony gave us faith to believe that it's not too late. This oak tree can be uprooted. And no one will ever forget the analogy that Greg made when he t testified how a young man whom he had never seen before, came to the bus station where he was at 4 o'clock in the morning with a lethal weapon and killed him. No one will ever forget that, te you know, that testimony, that analogy. For those of you that didn't hear Greg's testimony, that young man was carrying a Bible. And when he witnessed to Greg, when he used that spiritual weapon, it brought a conviction that pierced Greg's heart. And when he received Jesus, the old Greg died. And I'll never witness again. I'll never go out and witness to another person without being reminded of the fact that I'm carrying a lethal weapon and it's capable of killing the old sin nature in that particular person that I'm witnessing to and it's capable of releasing them to become a brand new creature in Christ Jesus. So I see soul winning in a whole different light now. 
Greg's testimony also brought home how very essential it is for that new creature in Christ to get very involved in a local church body and be fed so they can mature and grow. And he showed what happened when, uh, he told what happened when he didn't get involved and how he fell away. And, you know, a lot of people do fall away and they're in a the backslidden condition and they think, oh, you know, there's no hope, it's too late. But Greg witnessed then to God's mercy and God's grace and restoration and how God will take us from our backslidden condition and he'll, he'll bring us back even from that if we'll allow him to. So I know there were a lot of people that, that heard that and they thought, Lord, it's not too late. It had power in that testimony when it was lifted up. It's not too late. And a person can be brought back if they'll not let the guilt and, and the unworthiness hold them in, in another kind of bondage. Greg literally drew a picture of the choice that's been given to us in Deuteronomy 30. And that's a choice we have all, every day of our life, that we can choose life, we can choose death or we can choose blessing, or we can choose curse. And how that scripture goes on even to tell us what choice to make. God says, choose life, choose blessing. And he tells us how, you know, by choosing the way of the Lord, the way of the word. And so Greg testified that our destiny literally is bound up in the choices that we make. We're making our destiny every single day. Every testimony had so much to say. You know, every testimony had power for a particular area. Robert's testimony kept reminding us of God's faithfulness. You know, so many have fallen into the trap of being disillusioned by hypocrisy that they see in, in the lives of Christians and, and people. And, you know, many people have done just exactly what Robert said that he did. He began to question and he began to doubt God. And he said what brought him back, though, was the early Christian training finally won out over the, over the doubt. And boy, that just sparked hope. I could see hope in, different, in the faces of different people. It, it, it sparked a newfound zeal in the heart of every parent when they heard that testimony because they thought, boy, I can. It gave them the, the determination to keep training their children in the ways of the Lord because they saw a living testimony that it really does pay off. You know, here's a, a living testimony of someone that said that early Christian training is what brought me through. He shared the subtle pitfalls of complacency and, and uh, selfishness and lack of communication in a marriage and how it tears at the very heart of the marriage. And it was such a good reminder for every one of us, all of us women, when we heard the effect now that Penny's quiet, uh, unshakable submission had on him when she came back and she was uh, turning her life over and, and submitting to, uh, to him. And... You know, he testified to how submission works, and he does because it's God's way. He also testified to how God brings the power and the joy to drive out depression. And there are many people that are under so much oppression and that gave them hope, and it started sparking something on the inside to realize that it is the joy of the Lord that drives out the heaviness. Now, Penny's testimony was a witness to which every marriage could look and glean new insight. I just sat there thinking of all the, the just good marriage advice that was coming forth as she was giving her testimony. And every marriage, whether it was on good, steady ground or whether it was a troubled marriage, could have grabbed hold of the things that was being said and put them to work in, in their marriage. She talked about the importance of developing a friendship first. She talked about the good manners that she saw in Robert the importance of getting the parental blessing from both sets of parents before the marriage. See, few people in today's society 
see the spiritual necessity or the spiritual blessing that that can bring. And she described so well the fact that a marriage covenant is much like our covenant with God. A lot of people haven't stopped to realize that. Just like God spoke to, to her, where you are now with your husband is where you are with me. Now that's an awesome revelation. And she saw that line of authority in the marriage, and there is a line of authority in, in the home. Now did you notice how unique and different each testimony was? You know, God used this summer to address almost every situation that you could possibly imagine. And everyone had someone with whom they could identify. You know, Vicki and, and Gerald testified to the seductive pull that the world had on them and, and drugs and what they had gone through there. And Gerald described so well how he could see that seductive pull even in Vicki's eyes and, and how they were being pulled into the world and the unbelievable toll that it had on the excruciating pain that they would go through on the one hand, but yet that pull would be so heavy pulling them into the world that even the pain wasn't enough to hold them back. It was like a tug of war. And so that let us know that there is a power hole from the enemy that if, if we let ourselves loose, there's a power hole there. But it also testified to the fact that God's power can still win out. Now, they were testifying to the fact that there was absolutely nothing that would work except the power of God, that that's what it took. And we saw that Jack and I went to a TYC conference in San Antonio a few weeks ago. And we went because Jack's on the council for the, the state school. And at that conference, they were basically saying exactly the same thing that Gerald and Vicki had said. Every keynote speaker at that conference, every small group workshop with the exception of one, now, one of them had this uh, little black lady, and she was just precious, and Jack went in that small group, and she was saying, boy, there's one way, and it's Jesus. But the rest of them were telling us that privately, but they weren't saying it in the, in the workshops or, or in the conference. But they were, they were admitting in the small groups that they didn't have any real answers, that they didn't have any answers for a rehabilitation program that had any kind of lasting results. And I wanted so badly to get up and say, there's only one answer, but there is an answer, and it's Jesus. But the small group workshop that I attended was headed up by a psychologist who was the director of a, a mental hospital in San Antonio. And I really liked the guy. He wasn't a way-out new-age thinker. He, he was really down-to-earth. And he got in that small group, and I don't know what kind of day he was having, but he just poured his heart out to us. And I wrote down these direct quotes because I thought that, that we needed to know. I, it, it just affirms again that Jesus is the only way. He said, our lack of success in seeing people get permanently helped has started getting to me in the last few years. He said, it has gone beyond the scope of our knowing what to do right now. He said, we have never before had so much violence occurring in the private therapy between patient and staff. He said many of the staff members literally fear for their life when they go in, into the, uh, these private therapies. He said most all of our treatments have been found to be remarkably unsuccessful. And then the last thing that I wrote down that he said, he said, I used to teach some things like whole family counseling and institutional program therapy to help children get to understand themselves. He said, I used to teach these things as though they were the Ten Commandments. But he said, I no longer see it that way. They are not working. Like I say, I wanted to stand up and I wanted to say, 
you know, that may not be working, but there is a way that will work. Now, I didn't stand up and say that, but I thought about uh, Gerald and, and Vicki's testimony because they testified to that. They testified to the fact that nothing in their life was strong enough to hold them back out of that seduction that was pulling them into the world except Jesus. And they said when they had this change on the inside, that it has to be a change from the inside out, when that happened, then they were given the strength. Now, most people would see a jail sentence as bad, but Gerald and Vicki's life testifies to the fact that God can take something that looks bad and he can turn it around and he can bring good out of it. Because it was in jail that Gerald came back to the Lord and, and had a renewal and it gave him the strength then to finally say no to this seductive pull. And of course, Vicki came to the Lord for the first time. She had a new birth experience in jail, turned her life around 180 degrees. See, only God can bring a person from an $800 a day habit that forced them into a life of crime and a, a life of stealing. That the only God can bring someone from that to a productive, spirit-filled life and a ministry that, that's going to affect a lot of other people and set them free. Now, only God's power is going to be able to, to do what needs to be done. And until institutions and organizations realize that, they're going to find out that they are going to feel helpless and hopeless. And they are going to say, our program, if they're honest, they'll say our program is remarkably unsuccessful because it takes that, that new birth, it takes the change on the inside. Now, one common thread that we heard throughout the testimonies this summer was the fact that there was somebody home praying. You know, Gerald had a mother that was home praying, and almost every testimony mentioned either an aunt or a grandmother or some, quote, fanatic that uh, just wouldn't leave the situation alone. Well, that in itself testified hope on the inside of each one of us when we've been tempted to quit praying for some family member because we thought it was hopeless. And all of a sudden we realize, hey, that is a common thread. That's what I'm hearing week after week after week. The thing that finally brought them in was the fact that there was prayer going on in their behalf. Wayne caused every one of us to stop and reminisce and, and uh, see the progress through which God has brought us. Those of you that have been in this fellowship from way back, well, I know you enjoyed that because it helped us to relive and reappreciate all the things that God's done along the way to bring us where we are today. And he does, in fact, work all things together for good if we're called according to his purposes. Now, Wayne's testimony refreshed us and called us back now to remember not only the early praise gatherings, but to remember the freshness of our first love. When we were first, you know, falling in love with the Lord, we were getting the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the excitement of that newfound zeal where we just wanted to witness to everybody we saw. And... He also helped us to see where some of us had become a little bit complacent. We'd lost that freshness. And so his testimony challenged us, challenged us to pull back into that secret place with the Most High and regain that freshness. And it let us know that it's there. All we have to do is pull back to that time with God, and we've got it. Justin testified to a life that was given things. He testified to a life that was even given acceptance by the parents, but it wasn't enough. You know, all the parental acceptance in the world and all of the bestowing of gifts, and those are good things, but they're not going to bring fulfillment in a life apart from Jesus. And so he testified to the emptiness and, and to the fact that he even had thoughts of suicide. But praise God, you know, like so many others that we heard, he had a Granny Ray that was back home praying, 
And so here Justin is today serving God. Now Jessica, she had a testimony of a life that had been kept by God. You know, she said from her earliest recollection she had known God. And that's one of the best testimonies in the world to be able to testify to the fact that you've been with the Lord and, and he's kept you all those years. And, you know, it gave us courage to want to reach out and receive that keeping power. Now, she did experience some bondage, but it was a different type of bondage. She experienced the bondage of legalism, the precepts of men, and that is bondage. You know, legalism can seem so right because there's no obvious misery attached to it like with some of the other sins. And sometimes we, we don't feel any physical pain with, with legalism. But legalism fosters pride and self-righteousness, and it keeps us in an area of deception. And it's a tool of the enemy because it keeps us from that love walk. If we're in legalism, we'll never enter into a love walk. If we're in legalism, we'll never be led by the Holy Spirit. It's just exactly like a wall that holds us back from getting to really know God intimately and to experience him the way that he wants us to. So her testimony was one that challenged people who, was in that, who were in that kind of bondage to pull out of it, you know, to pull out of that legalism. And as I listened to their story, I thought about how no teaching in Justin's home and legalistic rules and regulations that pointed to outward circumstances like Jessica experienced in her early upbringing, I thought about how, how both situations, even though they were on opposite ends of the extreme, how both of them kept them from experiencing God. And so that's what God's doing. He's trying to pull us back to the middle, pull us back to that narrow way. But I thought, you know, how good God is. Whatever it is that's hindering us, if we'll allow him to, you know, he'll bring us out of it. And when he brought them out of it, then they testified to the blessing then of believing God's covenant promises and receiving the promises and getting to know God intimately and getting to realize that the faith message does in fact work. And so they testified to hearing God, which is a necessary ingredient. And one statement that Justin made challenged every one of us into a life of faith. He was facing some impossible-looking obstacle, and he made this comment. He said, we believed God would work another miracle, and he did. And that's the life of faith, is every time a new obstacle comes, we believed God would work another miracle, and he did. And that challenged each one of us to reach out for that. And then Debbie and Darby gave us even another perspective. You know, Debbie came from a background of thinking that being a Christian was boring. And so there was nothing more refreshing than to watch Debbie stand up here and tell about all the joy and the excitement and the fun that she has being a Christian. And you can watch her all over the church, and you know that she's happy. You know she's having fun being a Christian. And I thought, you know, if there happened to be anyone out there that was going through, struggling with that same fear, not wanting to go all the way with God, thinking it was going to be boring, they could have just looked on her face and it would have been a testimony that would have drawn them all the way in, into the things of God. She also testified how there was a point in her life where there was some self-will and some rebellion and it brought a lot of heartache and how easy it was to hang on to that self-will and actually defend it even though it was bringing destruction. Now her testimony also addressed the reality of miracles. And people struggling with that kind of doubt, they're never going to forget her statement when she said, if you don't believe in miracles, you'll probably never see one, but miracles do work. And I thought about that, you know, we'll never forget that. Every time I'm needing a miracle, that's going to come back to me. You know, if I don't believe in miracles, I probably won't see it, but miracles do work. 
Now, Darby's testimony challenged every one of us to get a vision, not just any kind of vision, but God's vision. And that when we get a hold of God's vision and we hang on to it and we don't give up and we're obedient to God, that it'll come to pass. And he began to share how God had given him his own company and a godly marriage and a wife that loved God and a ministry now that was motivated out of a sincere desire to worship and praise God rather than just a desire to play drums. His testimony also challenged people to see the biblical principles of giving and tithing. So as you looked through the summer, you saw how many varieties of subjects that God covered in the testimonies. That wasn't any accident. That wasn't any accident. You know, every one of us could find our area of challenge in one of those testimonies and what it did, if we allowed it to. It, would, it had the power to spark hope on the inside of us that would activate faith. Billy Slaymaker, I was teaching last week in, at the Warriors. I didn't get to hear his, but... I was told that he testified on the destructive pain that alcohol can bring and how that we can't name one single good thing that comes from drinking. We can't, not one. Whether it be social drinking or anything else, it all leads to destruction. Now, we could go on and on. The testimonies of God providing a beautiful home for Charles and, and Marlene and John McCluskey telling how God has miraculously provided. And when Debbie told about losing things and how God found them, nothing hidden that will not be made known and nothing covered that will not be revealed. And, and Patty and Sid, where they gave the testimony of, of putting seed out and, and seeing the harvest within, within a week. Just on and on, you can think of all the testimonies, all the testimonies that I, that I hear from Kenneth Schaefer and, oh, the exciting things that God is revealing to him and showing to him. And I thought... You know, it doesn't have to be a public testimony that's coming from behind the pulpit to be an overcoming weapon. Every single testimony can be the snake on the pole that's raised up, and when anybody looks to it and releases faith, then deliverance will come just as surely as it came to those children that were going through the wilderness. So the first thing we compared the testimony to was the power of the snake on the pole. And the second analogy, I just want to mention it with a few short sentences. We're not going to go back through the testimonies again. But I want you to see how a testimony is also like the Old Testament altar. And I want you to follow with me for just a moment on that. Because the testimonies that we heard this summer, if you'll remember, every single one of them gave thanksgiving to God. See, the testifier was giving thanks to God, and every single person that heard that testimony gave thanks to God. In fact, you'd see times when different people would break out in applause when somebody would tell what God had done. Now, they weren't applauding the, the speaker. They were applauding what God had done. And that's one of the main criteria for any good testimony. It's going to result in praise and thanksgiving to God. That's what it's all about. That's, we're testifying to what God has done when he's touched an area in our life. And that's why a testimony can be compared to that Old Testament altar. Because do you remember what all the Old Testament patriarchs did after God intervened? Every single time they built an altar, if you'll look. Now, I won't have you look them up, but in Genesis 8, verse 20, when Noah gets off the ark, the first thing he did, does, he builds an altar and worships God. In Genesis 12, verse 7, when God told Abraham that the land was going to be given to him, Abraham immediately builds an altar and sacrifices and worships God. In Genesis 33, verse 20, 
after Jacob comes back to the home uh, land of his grandfather uh, Abraham. He brings his wives and his children and Esau doesn't kill him. And so, boy, he builds that altar and he worships God. So I decided I would go through the Old Testament and I would just start counting how many times the Old Testament people built altars to worship God. Well, it, I started counting and finally I got tired counting. It was, it was more than I could count. But I noticed a correlation. Every time an altar was built, it was after some intervention by God when God had touched the situation. What they were doing, they were marking the spot. They were testifying to God's miracle by building that altar. And that's an analogy. I think that's an Old Testament uh, type and shadow of the Christian's testimony. Because when, when God intervenes, that's what we're doing. We're standing and testifying. We're building an altar right there of worship and thanksgiving for God's miraculous intervention and we're pu by publicly testifying about it. Now that altar in the Old Testament was a real special place where the heart was grateful and they were saying, Lord, apart from you, no telling where I would be. Well, that's what we're doing with our New Testament uh, testimony. We're, we're proclaiming thanksgiving and we're saying, oh God, apart from you, there's no telling where I would be. So it was our, it's our altar of worship. We're acknowledging God's goodness and his provision. And it is indeed then a memorial built to God. Now, no wonder God has told us then that we overcome, yes, first of all by the blood of the Lamb, but also by the word of our testimony. God wants it to be imprinted on our hearts how important the testimony really is. I want you to go away from this Bible study and realizing beyond a shadow of a doubt that when you give your testimony, uh, money or when you testify about anything that God's done or when you hear somebody else do it, that there's some very important things that are happening there and there's some power, available power that's being released. It's very important that we guard our testimony. Very important that we keep our testimony a live, productive ministry too because Satan would love to steal it. Now, Father, I thank you for all of these precious people, Father, that Father, I pray that you'll help them to know what a blessing they are. I thank you that you have placed members in this body and, and Father, that you're bringing all of us to a place where uh, you're equipping us to minister. Lord, I thank you that you're bringing us to a place where we're realizing that it's not just leadership that does the work of the ministry, but that each one of us is given the responsibility to mature and grow and and go out and, and be used to bring in the harvest. Father, I thank you that our testimony can be, or parts of our testimony can be a very vital tool for this. Father, I just pray that tonight that you'll just ingrain it in our heart how important the testimony is, the power that is contained in our testimony, whether we give it or whether it's one that we hear. Father, I thank you. I pray that you'll help us each one just to reach out and and uh, release faith, Father, to, to believe you for the things that, that you've shown to us through the testimony of others, whether it be someone uh, living now or someone that has testified in, in, on the pages of our Bible. Uh, Father, we love you and, and we thank you and praise you. Lord, you are so good. And we give you the praise and the honor and glory.